Okay, cool. I'm touched, I'm moved, I'm going to have trouble teaching. If you're joining us by internet, uh, uh, welcome. I don't know what to say, except I hope that you have a blessed Advent season and that this is, if I could have the PowerPoint up. Uh, we got PowerPoint. Do we have PowerPoint? If not, I can draw on the Elmo. But let's see if the PowerPoint... Ah, there we go. There we go. All right. So I want you to have a blessed Advent season. There we go. And with that, we're going to start our vignettes for the devotionals that we'll look at today. By the way, these are going into a book, hopefully. Uh, Baylor says they've got to have it by next September to get it out for next year. But we're going to have a book that's tied to the church calendar. And uh, with devotionals from the life of Jesus. I do hope that you do take the devotional book today and, and enjoy uh, uh, learning from the Torah, the Old Testament. But today we're in Advent. So with that, let's start with the first vignette. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yes. If nothing else, this is sports season. You got to be ready. I and mean, everybody gets asked for every team, are you ready? So here's the passage for are you ready? It comes from Luke 1, verse 17. Luke says, he, John the Baptist, will go before him in the spirit. The him here is Jesus. John the Baptist will go before Jesus in the spirit and power of Eliyah, Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now I want you to look at this for just a moment. I want you to chew on it. I want you to think about it. Read it again. John the Baptist is going to go before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now let me remind you. Elijah was, next to Moses, the most significant, notable Old Testament prophet there was, probably. Elijah was the one who had the antagonistic fights with Ahab and Jezebel. Elijah was the one who confronted the prophets of Baal and had the big showdown. On Mount Carmel. Elijah was the one who called the children of Israel to become faithful again to the Lord. Elijah was the one who didn't die in the normal sense of death, but was taken away on a fiery chariot into the heavens with the promise that he would come again to bear witness to the Lord Jesus. So when you look at this and you say, John the Baptist will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Okay, I got that. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Okay, I just got to tell you, that, that doesn't make sense to me. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Well, now that makes sense. You want to take those who are disobedient and you want to turn their hearts to those who see the wisdom of, of, of justice and obedience and rightness. 
to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Okay, that phrase in there, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, just doesn't seem to fit. I mean, were fathers anti-children in the day? No, not really. What's this talking about? To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. That, that phrase. Well, I want to suggest to you, yes, it does fit. I want to suggest to you, Luke put it in there on purpose. And I want to suggest to you, if you were a good Jewish reader of this passage, at the time Luke wrote it, you'd get it. You'd get it because it would trigger into your brain this passage in a book called Malachi in the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures. Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6. Malachi is the last book, the last prophetic book written in the Old Testament Scriptures. That's why in an English Bible Malachi is put last as the last book of the Old Testament. You want to find Malachi in your Bible? Go to the Gospel of Matthew, where the New Testament starts, and go back a page. And you're at Malachi. So Malachi is the last Old Testament prophet to write. And if you look at Malachi, if we go to the Elmo now, here's our New Testament, which starts with Matthew. And I said, you just go back the page before, boom, Malachi. Not only can you go back the page before and find Malachi, but the very last chapter, the very last words, the last prophetic words chronologically in the Hebrew Bible, the last prophetic pronouncement by God in the Hebrew Bible. Is what Luke is quoting. So that phrase that you say, eh, it doesn't really fit. Well, it does fit. It's from the Old Testament. Luke is quoting, and he wants everybody to know the very last passage of prophetic word from God to his Jewish people before Jesus it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he, Elijah the prophet, will turn the hearts of fathers to their children. And the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Absent Jesus coming. The land will be utterly destroyed and all the inhabitants therein. Absent Jesus coming, there is no peace at home. There is no purpose in the future. There is no purpose in the past. Malachi is proclaiming that God is going to send Elijah, John the Baptist, in the spirit and power of Elijah to fulfill the last prophetic word of the Hebrew Old Testament. 
To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children means to live today knowing that I care about tomorrow. I care what's coming. I care what's happening. We still speak the same language today. You'll frequently hear politicians and economists and others saying, what we do today makes a difference for our children. So we live today with an eye toward our children. We have purpose for the future. Elijah's coming to prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist is going to talk about Jesus coming because Jesus makes a difference for the future. But if you go back to the Malachi passage, you see it also has the children turning their hearts to the fathers. Looking backwards, Jesus gives meaning to what's happened, past tense, just as much as he gives meaning to what will happen, future tense. Don't be so caught up in the advent looking forward that you fail to look backwards and see what came before that causes the need for the Jesus to come. And that's what Luke is saying, that John the Baptist is going to go before Jesus. And actually, Gabriel talking. He will go before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah to care about the future, to fulfill the Old Testament promises, to care about the past, to bring the disobedient, the rebellious, the sinful, to the wisdom of the just one. And make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Does that phrase fit? Absolutely that phrase fits. There you go. Bam. Hold on, that took some time. Appreciate the moment. Bam. Are you ready? Good. Because he's coming. He's coming each day into your life and he's coming again. The future has purpose. The past has meaning. We can understand both. Only understand both properly if we understand them in light of the incarnate Jesus. So here's some lessons for life. Lessons to go for this passage. We can start it with lesson one. If you're not ready, get ready. Get your life before the Lord. Live your life oriented around the cross of Jesus. Let him explain the past and give meaning to it. And let him inspire and give hope and meaning and purpose for the future. Because he's coming again. All right, second vignette. Sometimes God's ways can be perplexing. Sometimes they can trouble you. Sometimes you don't understand what he's doing. And it's not making sense in your life. Look at the Luke passage that continues with Luke 1, 26 through 29. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. 
And the angel comes to Mary and he says to her, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, let's think about this for just a moment. Here's this girl. And culturally, we know she would have been around 13. Because that's when girls were betrothed to get married back then. So she's around 13. Got a 13-year-old girl who's going about her day. And an angel, the angel Gabriel, suddenly comes to her. And he says, greetings, O favored one. Now, greetings is a normal way to greet someone. That reads kind of stilted because it's the way they greeted. But it'd be like, uh, hello. That was a standard greeting. We don't normally say to people, greetings. I saw John Clinton this morning, came up. He's going under... Um, I don't mean to offend surgeons here. He's going under the knife tomorrow. And and I didn't say to him, greetings, John. I said, hey, buddy. Now, Gabriel's not calling her buddy, but he's greeting her. That's not bizarre. Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, that's a little interesting. I doubt this 13-year-old girl who lives in a culture where the men generally don't talk to her at all, and Gabriel is a masculine noun, so we don't really know, you know, he's an angel. I don't know that you, you gender angels. But here's this being who comes to her and tells her she's a favored one and that the Lord is with her. And she's like, what is going on? This is weird. This is an unusual person to come up to me. I'm 13. Why are they even talking to me? Why is this fella talking to me? And why is he giving me this holy insight into who I am and who God is? She's reacting to this. Now we need to pause in this narrative and remember, we're reading this from Luke Luke was a doctor. As a doctor, he got to interview and deal with women all the time. Luke is the one who spends a lot of time on the virgin birth. He's a doctor. It was contrary to the way he'd learned his medicine. It was an important thing. Luke writes his gospel after interviewing these people. He says that in the beginning. So Luke has visited with Mary decades later, 40 years later, 50 years later. And he says, so tell me about this. And she's saying, well, an angel came to me, the angel Gabriel, and he greeted me like this. And I was like, what? I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And that's the way it is. Sometimes God's ways can be perplexing. 
But as we think of them as perplexing, I want to urge us, when you examine your life and you examine what God's doing in your life and you're, you're, you're trying to understand it, consider it with patience and with faith. And the angel told Mary as much. Mary's concerned, she's disturbed, she's troubled. And what does the angel say? Verse 30. The angel said, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You're the favored one. You have found favor with God. God's at work here. God's going to do something in your life that will change all of history before you and all of history after you. The seminal event that was planned before the creation of the very world is about to explode on the scene. And you, Mary, are an integral part. You have found favor with God. So sometimes God's ways can be perplexing, but we should consider it with patience and faith, with confidence that God is at work. And that's what the angel's saying. Don't be afraid. You've found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb. Hold on one sec. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You'll call his name Joshua. Yehoshua. Yahweh is salvation. Gets turned into Jesus in Greek. You'll call his name Joshua. He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Israel, house of Jacob, forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. What Mary was getting a glimpse into is this massive tapestry that God is weaving. God is weaving a masterpiece that when all is said and done will be the kingdom of God to his glory. And each of us are some little thread in that. And, and you, you might be a, a, a thread that, that's got that theme that's going to be the red theme for a while, or the green, or the blue, or the white, or the black, or the brown, or, or any number of colors. Sometimes the thread can change colors. But you're getting woven into a masterpiece. And Mary's getting a glimpse into the bigger picture. And she's being told, you, most favored one, are going to bear the son of the Most High. Who's going to explain. You've got the centerpiece of the tapestry. That's going to come forth from you. I mean, this, this will blow my mind. And I'm 58. I can't imagine a 13-year-old gal. In this small little mountain town of Nazareth. Who's just been engaged to this old fella. (laughs) 
And and this is like what? So I want to pause and I want to get a lesson out here before we go further. And the lesson is, let's watch for God's hand in our lives. Yes, God is not going to have another virgin birth and and come be born again. That's not the way he's going to do it. He did it once for everybody. He's already died for all of our sins. Doesn't need to be repeated. It's finished. But it doesn't mean God doesn't work in our lives individually. Mary's is an incredible snapshot, but it's an incredible snapshot that calls for us to recognize God's hand is working in each of our lives and in each of the circumstances in our lives. And you you, you look at it and you may say, yeah, but this isn't God. This is me. I really messed something up and now I'm in trouble. Well, God's still at work there. I was talking to a buddy of mine yesterday about raising children, rearing children. I guess you raise chickens. Uh, rearing children. And he says, yeah, he said, I, I, he said, I told my kids. <laughs> this is actually pretty interesting. He said, um, so I was meeting with our pastor in the house. And the pastor was asking me how I'd taken care of our kids and, and what I was going to do with them. And I said, well, I'd already set aside money for their college so our kids could go to college. And he said it was about three days later we were driving to church. And our son Luke, uh, who's eight, looked at me and said, Dad, I guess I don't really have to worry much about life since I'm already, you're already paying for me to go to college. And I looked at him and I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, we were sitting at the top of the stairs and we heard you talking to the pastor, and you said you'd already paid for our college, so I'm, I'm figuring my life's pretty much on easy street. And my friend said, no, no, no. I paid for your college, but I can jerk that away from you in a heartbeat. <laughs> your life is not on easy street. So what I'm responsible for doing is making sure you learn your manners, making sure you learn how to dress, how to treat people, what to do when you make mistakes, how to apologize and set things right. And then you, with those tools, are responsible for making the grades and doing the things in life that will set you up where you need to be and where you need to go. But I'm responsible as a parent to do those things. And I was struck in listening to my friend tell me what he told his eight-year-old, that he told his eight-year-old, one of my responsibilities as a parent is to teach you what to do when you make mistakes. So if you're sitting here listening to this saying, yeah, but man, the mess in my life right now is something that I've done. I've made a mistake. I've made mistakes. Or I'm ensnared in trouble because of what I've done. God teaches you how to get out of those mistakes. God's not gone. He didn't check out on you. He didn't write you off. We all make mistakes. And so part of God's purpose and plan and part of his work in your life is to help you learn how to deal with your mistakes. So whatever you're going through in your life, watch for God's hand because God's moving in it. Even if the mess you're in is your own making, God's still teaching you what to do. And so look to God for it. And as you watch for his hand, be patient and trust in the outcome because he's at work. 
And then as you do this, and as you walk through these faith experiences, and you see God work in your life, get ready to tell the world about all of His great deeds and what He has done. Look at this passage in more detail. Luke 1, 46-49. Mary starts to praise the Lord. Here's what she says. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. I love the response of this 13-year-old girl to this news. In the intervening verses, what you've missed is she says, how can I be pregnant if I've not had sexual relations with anybody? And the angel says, by the power of God, by His Holy Spirit. That's part of the miracle. That's part of you and the world knowing that this isn't just no ordinary kid who turned out pretty good. This is God incarnate. This is God come into the world. This is what Isaiah prophesied about. Behold, the virgin will give birth. And so within the framework of that, the response of this 13-year-old girl is marvelous. She starts recounting the great deeds of the Lord in faith. I, I was reading this in Greek last night, and I wanted to pull out a couple of words for you. So look at them for, with me for just a moment. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now in the Greek, the word magnifies here, it's megaluno in the Greek. The, the, the word is actually the very first word in her phrase. Because she's emphasizing it. She's saying, magnifies my soul, the Lord. Megaluno in the Greek. That's the way we would spell it in English. Megaluno. Megaluno means to make something to be large, to make something grow big, to, to, to boast about something. And Mary says, I'm going to make big, I'm going to enlarge, I'm going to grow the Lord. Well, she's not making the Lord bigger than he is, but she's boasting him. She's going to declare the greatness of the Lord. She says, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Rejoices. Agaliao. Agaliao is, is to, to rejoice, but, but it means to be exceedingly joyful and glad. It, it means like, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, how happy are you? 20! You know, I, I, our, two of our daughters were on the phone. And uh, one of our daughters was hanging up with the other daughter and said, I love you, Sarah. And Sarah replied, I love you more. She said, next level up. 
course, the other side of that story is Rebecca called Sarah back afterwards and says, I want you to know how much that meant to me. Sarah said, what? Well, you know, I said, I love you before we hung up. And you said, I love you more. And Sarah said, I did. <laughs> Rebecca said, yeah. She said, oh, I just thought I said goodbye. That's all I meant. So I brought it back down. But for a minute there, it was exceedingly joyful. It was all I... Um, it was Aga Leo. It was, it was, it was above and beyond. It was over the top. Mary says, I'm going to declare the greatness of the Lord because my spirit is over the top about God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Humble estate. Tapinosis in the Greek. Tapinosis in the Greek is, is an humble estate, yes. But in the main, it's humiliation. It's lowliness. It's the feeling of a 13-year-old girl in a small community who is pregnant before she's supposed to be and not by the man she's engaged to be married to. It's humiliation. And Mary is saying, I'm going to lift up the Lord beyond measure. My spirit is just exceedingly joyful, glad. Because he looked on my lowliness. He looked on my humiliation. And instead of walking around with a bag over my head. I'm going to proclaim the greatness of the Lord. Because behold from now on. All generations are not going to call me. The unwed mother. All generations are going to call me blessed. Makarizo. Blessed. Makarizo. Blessed. Makarizo. Blessed. We know that word. Jesus gave beatitudes. Blessed are the meek. They'll inherit the earth. Blessed are you when hunger and thirst for righteousness. You'll be satisfied. That word means happy. I almost put in the song. Happiness. You know that song that gets in your brain that you can't get rid of. The happy song. Blessed means happy. Now, I want to tell you something. I, well, let's add the next word. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Now, I told you before, megaluno is magnifies. Megaluno is magnifies, right? That meant to make something large. Let's see if I can get it up there. There we go. Meant to make something large, to boast, right? That's megaluno. This is the word megos. It's the same basic word, just a different form. We're now looking at just the great part instead of making something great. So I'm going to lift up and make the Lord great and rejoice in my soul's magnifying and making large and boasting in the Lord because He has done great things in me. He's done these large, great things. 
Now I want to time out for just a moment. Because I want to make this personal. Whatever you've got in your life. Whether it's good or bad. Whether it's of your own making or it was done to you. Whether it's a product of righteousness or a product of sin. Whatever you've got. When the hand of God, when you subject it to the hand of God. And in, 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 in humble obedience say, God, here I am. Take me. Send me. Clean me up. Fix me. I, I Tell me what to do. God will do great things in your life. He'll take something of humiliation and turn it into something of great blessing and joy. He can take the worst, the lowliness, and make it the greatest, the highest. That's who He is. And that's because His name is holy. That Greek word name, onoma, onoma is not just your name. It's not just a proper noun in a sense, a, a label. But it's who you are at your core. It's what you've done. It's the curriculum vitae, the CV. That's fancy Latin for your professional life, your life, who you are. Your CV is, is your, your qualifications, your resume, your references, your experience, your education, your interests. It's all of those aspects of who you are. And who we are is defined by the glory of God if we put ourselves under His care. And that's the Advent message. It's global in the sense that Jesus comes to forgive us of our sins and make us right with God. But it's day by day because He's continually invading our lives saying, come and, and let me show you what to do and let me give you meaning and purpose and explain to you how to live. And when we do, He transforms our lowly estate into something great and worthy not because we're inherently great but because we are a reflection of His handiwork and He's great. We're His CV. What He can do in our lives is to His credit and His glory and His greatness of His name, not ours. Which is a good time for me to bill the next series we'll start in January. I want us to watch for God's hand and I want us to examine God's CV. And that's going to be the series we start in January. The greatness of God. And we're going to look at his CV. We're going to examine his qualifications. Some of the things on his CV will be real easy for us to say, yeah, he's a great God. After all, he sent his son to save us. But some of the things on his CV may make us say, well, I didn't really want to study that. Like when he says, go wipe out all these people. So we're going to study that. But in the meanwhile, here's our last point for home for the Advent season in the year. I'm going to boast in God's greatness. I'm going to tell the world what he's doing in my life. And I'm going to take joy as he does it. Even in the times that are lowly and humiliating. Because that is the blessedness of this Advent season. 
please take the books. Know that they're from love in our hearts as you leave. Um, we've got a party we've got to get to, so I can't s- sign. Some of you all like them signed. Some of you don't. <laughs> I don't care one way or the other. But I can't do that today. Um, but, but if you bring them back, uh, I'm glad to sign, especially before class. It makes it easy. And then after class, I can see my family. Um, but I don't want to close without an end-of-the-year blessing. And thank you all for being here. Father, I thank you so much for this year, and I thank you for these classes that we've had, a chance to open your word and study and grow before you. It is our prayer that your spirit will touch our lives, Father, and that we'll be sensitive to that, that we'll sense your hand at work, that we'll sense your presence, that we'll hear your voice, that we'll we'll understand your nudge and your call, and that, Father, we'll see how in the midst of whatever we are and whatever we've done, You are there to take us to a place of greatness out of your namesake to your glory where we have happiness and joy as children of your hand. So, Father, bless all who hear this message. I thank you so much for these people that are so dear to me. And I ask you to bless them this holiday season with joy, with safety, with enlightenment and growth with opportunity to tell of your greatness to others. Father, those who are impatient, give them a little more patient. Those who have sharp edges, Father, round them a little bit. Those who are sometimes distracted, give them a little more focus. Draw us closer to your heart, Father. Erase our doubts. Instill in us hope as we eagerly await your coming in our lives daily, but also, Father, at the end of time. In Jesus we pray humbly. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas.